0: We're going to be in the book of Joshua this morning, and it is uh, one of 12 historical books in the Bible. From Joshua to Esther, 12 books are all historical in nature. The great thing about the historical nature of these books is that it is clear that the issues surrounding um, the the people of that time are are issues that, that we deal with today. So the bigger issues that, that were um, confronting Joshua and the people of Israel parallel, parallel our lives today. And it's a book of new beginnings for the people of God, just as we needed a new beginning in Christ. Let me give you an introduction into the book. And, and it really um, is important to understand how God used the circumstances of Joshua's life to prepare him. For the leader that he became, he was Moses's faithful assistant and companion. As you know, most people know Joshua as one of the two spies that um, spied the land. And uh, him and Caleb came back and said, "Let's go, let's go." You know, God will give us this new land. And there was other spies with them, and they came back and they said, "No, no, no, we can't do it." They were not filled with the Spirit, so they were overruled, and it led to the people of Israel. Uh, wandering in a desert uh, for forty years, Joshua's name was originally Hashua. Uh, Moses changes name, changes Joshua's name to Jehoshua, which means the Lord of Salvation. When um, when my grandson was about, my oldest grandson was about to be born, and you know we were talking about names and such, and um, you know we we felt. And, and my daughter Jessica felt that Joshua was an appropriate name, and um, she wanted to honor me to some degree, and Joshua was an assistant, I'm an assistant. Uh, so anyway, he's named Joshua Randall, and, and, and I say that because about two months ago I was, uh, two months ago I shared uh, in Ecclesiastes. And so as I was doing my own personal reading, I was reading in Joshua, and um, I remember saying to my wife and Joshua, that the next chance I got to share, I'm going to share it in Joshua. So just a matter of days goes by, and, and Pastor Tim and I were talking, and he's talking about going on vacation, and, and uh, you know he asked me if I wanted to share, and I said, of course. And So anyway, it was cool that I already knew we were going to be in Joshua right, right then, and that's not a coincidence. The Lord does not deal in coincidences. So I, I knew right away that that's where I would be. Um, One last thing about Joshua's name. Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew name of Joshua. So we will see that Joshua was a type of Jesus. In the book of Joshua, we will see uh, many wonderful analogies of living a a victorious life in Christ. Uh, We'll see that there's new territories to grab hold of, just as we will have new steps of faith to take. And as we walk in a the spirit, there's much that the Lord can do in us and through us, but we have to be willing. So it's a book of new beginnings, just as we receive new life in Christ. And uh, it's funny as, as I pour over the, my notes, you know, during the course of the week and actually started preparing them weeks ago. But the Lord always brings up new things. And, you know, I was thinking how um, you know when we come to Christ, there's a you know a newness in there, and there's a passion for it, and that's something that we really should never lose. And I think of a couple of men that um, recently came to Christ. One was about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, and another is about uh, a month ago. And in both of them, I see the newness of Christ. And when I speak with them, I see how the Lord is just—you know—it's they're excited about that, the changes that it's made in their lives, and then even in their families has um, really impacted them and it's a blessing uh, for me to see. Um, So anyway, getting back to Joshua and the book, we will see that God's promises to Joshua are still our promises today. And Joshua is one of the figures in the Bible that presents to us just a great example of how to lead uh, a victorious Christian life. He was a humble warrior and always ready to follow the Lord's leading into battle. That is still our calling today. Before we look at the passage, though, that we're going to look at, and it'll be in Joshua 1, the first nine verses, I want to give a snapshot of the life of Joshua. There's probably five important points for us to understand about how God used the circumstances of his, of his life to turn him into the mature man uh, to lead Israel into the promised land. As I think of Joshua, the first thing I I think of is, you know, he's taking over for Moses. Uh, That's a daunting task. You know, Moses was used in a great way to, uh, you know, lead the people out of Egypt and and the the miracles that God used through Moses. Um, You know, thinking about, you know, here's Joshua behind Moses, watching how God's using this mighty man Uh, you know, at the Red Sea and and through the plagues and all these great acts that the Lord used for Moses, now Joshua is taking over for that man. I think of um, Pastor Chuck, who, you know, died in, in October of last year. How tough it must be for the pastor taking over behind him. You know, the Lord used Pastor Chuck to plant, you know, over... Three thousand churches worldwide, and even GFA KP O'Hanlon credits Chuck with much of their uh, planting of their churches. So here you have someone taken over for him, and, and it's such a you know it's such a tough thing to take over for for a man who is just so greatly used of God. So for Joshua, it is a daunting task, but. He is a mighty man. He is much like Moses, and God will use him in a similar way. So God had been molding Joshua for this very moment. So five points. First, um, Joshua was a slave. He was born into slavery. As I said, his parents gave him the name Yeshua, which means salvation, and also bears witness of their own faith in the Lord and God's promise for the redemption of his people. Um, turn, would you please, to uh, Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to kind of see how the Lord had set up what would eventually happen with Joshua's generation. Genesis 15, we'll start in verse 12. Genesis fifteen twelve says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, "'Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions.'" Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in a fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Joshua would be of this generation. He was a firstborn son of Nun from the tribe of Ephraim, so that meant that Joshua's life was in danger at a very early age. And the night of Passover... He was protected, being the firstborn son of none. he was protected by the blood of the uh, lamb on the doorpost. So uh, we see that, that Joshua, immediately God's hand was on Joshua as he grew up in Egypt. He, uh, he continued to um, serve uh, and see the Lord do great things uh, through Moses. Uh, he saw the Red Sea parted and closed, which um, Months ago, my wife and I were talking about that particular incident. So think of Moses is at the front and he's at the Red Sea and he, Lord tells him to raise his staff and he does and the and the waters part. And Scripture says that there's a wall of water on each side. What Scripture does not say is that you could see across the Red Sea to, to land on the other side. It just says that the, the the water was parted and there's walls on each side. So Perhaps each step is a step of faith as they're crossing the Red Sea because in front of them, perhaps the water is only parting as far as they need it, as God needed it to part for them to continue to move. So Joshua sees this happening, and, and he sees how the Lord has used Moses in such a mighty way. <coughs> Joshua also learned through these events to trust the Lord no matter what that the Lord would do whatever is necessary for the benefit of his people. In fact, we could say that Joshua became a slave for Christ. All right, so that's the first point. He was a, Joshua was a slave. Next point, Joshua was a soldier. Uh, we first hear of Joshua in Exodus 17 when Moses told Joshua to get his men and begin to fight against the Amalekites. Um, if you remember, this is the battle that Moses is watching from a hill, and Aaron and her are lifting Moses' arms up when he gets tired, because when his arms go down, the battle does not go well. (laughs) It brought to mind, uh, and this is a bonus, not in my notes, Um, it brings to mind, um, (laughs) there used to be a show I watched with my dad called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And um, Marlon Perkins, who was the older guy, he would have been like Moses, uh, would be uh, the narrator of the show, and his assistant was a younger guy. And so during the show, every show, it would seem that Marlon Perkins would say something like, while Jim is off in the bushes wrestling a tiger, I'll be back here in case I need to call the doctor. You know, he, <laughs> he just wasn't, wasn't involved in the hand-to-hand battle, but... Uh, Again, that's a bonus. (laughs) Um, So Joshua defeated the Amalekites with his sword. He was an exceptional general, had great military skills. He was a man of courage. This experience would prepare Joshua for the many battles that he would uh, fight in the promised land. All right, so first, Joshua was a slave. Then he was a soldier. Thirdly, he was a servant. In Exodus 24, he is called Moses' assistant. So, not only was Joshua was, uh, not only was Joshua a warrior, he was a servant to Moses and ultimately the Lord. Joshua learned how to live for and obey the voice of the Lord. He uh, in Scripture he also guarded the tent that Moses would use to meet with the Lord. So we see a mighty man of God, yet he was able to submit to Moses, and to the Lord. So he was a servant leader, uh, and that was modeled uh, to him by Moses. Uh, there's a great example of this. Uh, let's turn now, and, and we're going to do a lot of turning. Joshua 19, So the, towards the end of the book, Joshua 19, looking at verse 49 through 51. Joshua 19, 49 through 51. When they made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he had asked for, Timnath-Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, divided as an inheritance by lot lot in Shiloh before the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Just like Moses, Joshua did not claim any special privileges. He took his inheritance last. Slave, soldier, servant, Joshua was a spy, number four. When Moses sent, (coughs) excuse me, when Moses sent 12 men to spy out Canaan, Joshua and Caleb come back and say, let's go. They're, you know, God's going to give them this land. They had the faith to trust God to move into the land. The lack of faith of the other 10 is what leads to a delay of 40 years for the people of Israel to take this land. But we get to see a glimpse of Joshua's leadership uh, in, in this very act that he is Um, completely relying on and faithful to what the Lord would have him do. He's not afraid to stand up to the majority, knowing that he was right. In particular, he was right with God. Joshua faithfully and patiently stayed with Moses, knowing that one day they would receive their inheritance. Sorry, uh, allergies are a little rough this time of year. All right, so slave, soldier, servant, spy. Lastly, (coughs) excuse me, Joshua was a leader. God prepared Joshua to take over for Moses. In Moses' last message to Israel, Moses told the people that God would use Joshua to defeat their enemies and help proclaim their promised inheritance. Uh, Turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy now. Left in your Bible, Deuteronomy 31. That's right. Fingers are getting to work out today. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord... He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. What a great promise of the Lord. Turn right to Deuteronomy (coughs) 34.9. Deuteronomy 34.9. And we see the passing of the torch here. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was now the unquestioned leader of Israel. A mighty man of God, filled with wisdom, and ready to lead. All right. so turn back to Joshua 1 now, and we're going to look at the first nine verses. It'll be our um, focus of passage this morning. Starting in verse 1 After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, that you may observe to do all to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success have i not commanded you be strong and of good courage do not be afraid nor dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go my title is strong and courageous and you could see my creative powers at work right there General Andrew Jackson said, one man with courage makes a majority. And when you have a leader that is aligned with God's will, has prayed as to what he should be doing in in God's word, he is a majority because everyone lines up behind him. As we look at the change of leadership here, we see one mighty man of God taking over for another mighty man of God. Each is used as the Lord sees fit. They each had a specific purpose. The interesting part now is that except for Joshua and Caleb, the old generation of Jews had perished. So Joshua is now commissioned by the Lord to lead a new generation into entering and conquering the promised land. But the important part of, always, uh, of any change, the important part of any change will always be is it the leading of the Lord. And that is where it gets a bit tricky. Not for Joshua and Moses. For us. Because I've seen many churches make changes that, not, that were not of the Lord's leading. If you look around now, you'll see many churches that put an emphasis on the arts, whether it is uh, music, movies, um, paintings, and as Pastor Damien Kyle would say, that's not my Bible. There are other churches that now de-emphasize sin. Again, that's not my Bible. They don't want a harsh. They don't want harsh. Uh, words and and they want to tickle the the ears of those that are sitting in the seats. So change for change's sake is not good. Change that the Lord leads is necessary. And so whether you have a church that makes changes that's not of uh, God's will, they make these changes because they want to attract people into their church, or you're a church that doesn't want to move forward in any way. Both of them are wrong. Okay, You have to have the flexibility to trust in the Lord that He will do a work that you haven't planned for, that you haven't seen coming, but you know it's of Him. We did not plan for years ago to have a prison ministry, and yet we do. It's it's a working of the Lord. We see the fruit of it. So we have to be flexible enough to do that. The preaching of God's word will always be the number one priority of of our church. I, I know that that's Pastor Tim's heart. But we cannot be, and particularly for me, we cannot be so strident to say that, well, the Lord can't do a work in this area or that area. We have to be open to see what the Lord would do. So that's important that as we Anything that we do, we strive to do things by the leading of the Lord. Oswald Chambers wrote this: A work originated by God and conducted and conducted on spiritual principles will surmount the shock of a change of leadership and indeed thrive better as a result. What, what he's saying is: if it's the leading of the Lord, that shock of change we'll be okay. Everyone will be okay with that because we will actually do better and thrive as a result. And we can't be so resistant to change. All right, let's move on to the, uh, the, the verses that we're actually looking at. And Verses 1 and 2. I won't read it again just for time's sake. Verses 1 and 2, we see a wise leader who doesn't completely abandon the past. Moses' name is mentioned 57 times in the book of Joshua, evidence that Joshua held Moses in, in, in high regard for what he had done for Israel. Moses and Joshua uh, worshipped the same God, and they obeyed the same word. Twice in these verses, Moses is called God's servant. Joshua is also called God's servant in, this, in, the, in Joshua in chapter 24. The important thing is not servant, it's that they have the same master. We see that Joshua learned how to obey as a servant before he commanded as a general. And if you've never learned to obey and submit to another, uh, it becomes impossible to lead as a servant. Um, I think it's much, in in the men that I've seen as leaders, those that are a servant leader, I see how the Lord uses them. Right, because they are really united with those that they are leading. I think the best leaders are servants first. Um, so we see here, between Moses to Joshua, perfect passing of the baton. They were so like-minded, and, and Moses modeled what a servant leader uh, was to Joshua. It's been my experience that a lack of submission is a red flag for leadership, whether it's in this church or in any type of um, leading. So, and, and, And I say that for the simple reason of, you know, Scripture tells us that if two are not united, how can they walk together? And when someone cannot submit to leadership they can't walk together. So that's important in our church, and it's actually in any organization. So you have to ask yourself, as I have to ask myself, can you submit to authority? Can you submit to the authority of your boss? How about the authority of government? You know, we, we see so many things around us, and, and we see that we as a country, as we've prayed, get further and further away from God's word, but we are still called to be peacemakers. Jesus said we should be peacemakers. So there's a fine line between being defiant in government, uh, with our government, and to uh, still be an authority to them. Um, I think of how when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus in what he should do with what they should do with their money, and, and Christ said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So even then he was saying that we must obey the law of the land. So can you submit to the authority of government? And and there may be a time where that would be a problem for us. Can you as a wife submit to your husband? Can we as Christians submit to each other? The Bible speaks to all all of those things, all of those things. And it's important to know how you as an individual should be submitting to others. Being able to submit to others allows the Lord to grow you into a servant leader. Um, Without that submission, you will turn into a lording leader. And I have seen that fail time and time again. And I love the saying that if you're out if you're a leader and there's no one following you, you're just out for a walk. And, and, and that's a truthful statement because you, no one wants to follow someone who's just lording after them and, and, and not really leading them in a, in a practical way. You can't say that about Joshua, though. He was a warrior leading from the front with the army at his back. And this is where we can have a real good parallel of of Joshua being a type of Jesus. He led people into a new land, just as Christ gives us new life. He He defeats the enemy. Christ did that when he rose from the dead in our resurrection that we just celebrated last week. And lastly, Joshua helped claim the inheritance. We have an inheritance in heaven. So just those first couple of verses are are really, there's a lot of depth to it, and we we start to see how Joshua was impacted by Moses, and yet he's coming in to be a leader of his own. Verses 3 through 6, I'll read that because there's some things we're going to hit on there. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, A three-part job here for Joshua to, to perform. In verses 3 and 4, God enables Joshua to cross the river and claim the land. And then in verse 5, Joshua's army defeats the enemy. And in 6, they divide up the land as an inheritance. Um, the lessons for us today are also clear. Ephesians 1 tells us that we must step out in faith to claim the spiritual blessing that God has for us. And then in Revelation 3.8, we have an open door that nobody can close. And we can do those, and we can't do those things if we're fearful though. And if we're looking at nine verses this morning. Three times, three times the Lord says, be strong and of good courage. Three times in nine verses. I think that when the Lord says something that many times, we need to heed that. So, for us to move forward, we must be strong in the Lord and trust Him at all times, especially, especially when we can't see the victory. We can't see how the Lord's going to work that out. That's the time when you need to trust in Him more than ever. So, what is it in your life that you have not completely trusted the Lord to do? Perhaps it's stepping out and teaching the young ones. Downstairs, where you've thought about it, but oh, I don't know. I don't think I'm ready for that. I I don't know the word well enough. Well, in your preparation for teaching them, you're going to learn the word. Perhaps it's your finances. You don't trust them enough that you can't give them, give it totally over to them. You know, you can't, you know, give give a tithe. You you know you in so many people I hear say. Well, I'm just not in a position to give a tithe. I can't do that and and it's just the opposite. It's really just the opposite that when you give back to what the Lord has given you, you know that he's saying you can keep ninety percent, you can keep ninety percent, and I gave it to you, and now you're struggling to give back to ten percent that that was the lord's already um maybe maybe you struggle with sharing Christ with others, I think. Many of us do, you know. There's a time where you hear that still small voice saying to you, "Tell them about me. Let them know what you what what I've done for you." And we don't do that, so you've not given that over to him, and you lack the the strength and the courage to share um, what Christ has done in your life. All right, time for a baseball analogy, and I know you guys just look forward to that, um, but. It's been said that you can't steal second with one foot on first base. And what that means is you can't move on to what the Lord has for you if you're holding so tightly to what you're doing right now. And it is that first uncomfortable step in a direction that you feel inadequate to perform that the Lord will meet you there, and He will provide what you need, He will give you the words, He will give you the strength, and that is when your your life as a believer is most fulfilling. God also promised Joshua victory over the enemy in verse five. God said that it was uh, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you uh, Wednesday night. Scott shared this verse. Um, at Romans 8.31, it's, it's simple yet profound. If God is for us, who could be against us? What else in the Bible is just that great and impactful as that verse? If God is for us, who could be against us? What man can stand? What enemy can defeat us? There is not one. But we have to uh, trust in him to do that. So if we're to defeat the enemy, there can be no compromise. And, and sadly... If we would continue reading on, and we get the Judges, in the first couple of chapl- uh, chapters of Judges, uh, Israel compromises with the enemy, and God has to chase them yet again. But we have assurance that um, we can move forward with God's promise to us. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews repeated God's words of never leaving us nor forsaking us. That's my favorite verse in, of, in the Bible. Um, that's Hebrews 13.5. And we have that same promise today. Um, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you hanging. And no man can stand against us. But what a great encouragement that should be to all of us that no man can stand against us. God will never leave us nor forsake us. In verse 6, we see another promise to Joshua, and that would be the inheritance of the land. Joshua assures Uh, God uh, assures Joshua that the enemy would uh, be defeated and Israel would possess the land. But before God can fulfill his promises, Joshua first had to be strong and courageous. God's sovereignty is not a substitute for our responsibility. Okay? You get that? God's sovereignty he being in complete control is not a substitute for our responsibility. We have um, a choice to make. We have some work to do. We don't sit back and allow God to do what we know he's going to do because his promises are sure. We still have a responsibility. Spurgeon said this, Joshua was not to use God's promise as a couch upon which his indolence might luxuriate, but a griddle wherewith to gird up his loins for future activity. Let me give you the New Jersey version because we're big in New Jersey today. Um, Joshua was not to be fat and lazy. Instead, he was to use God's promises for a fire under his fanny. Okay? I'm not sure you could say fanny from the pulpit. But it's out there now. (laughs) We know that God is is for us. We know that He is with us, won't forsake us. But that doesn't mean that we would just sit back and just enjoy that relationship with Him and do nothing. Wearsby says this God's motivator, or God's word, is a motivator for service, not a nap on a couch. It is a prod not a pillow. We still have a responsibility. God gives us choices, and we have to decide what we're going to do with that choice that we have. Are we going to be fearful? Are we Are going to be strong, courageous? Verses 7 and 8, we again see the encouragement to be strong and very courageous. Joshua's strength would come from the reading of God's word And believing in his promises, Moses gave this charge back in Deuteronomy 11, verses 1 through 9. And I'll read that. You don't have to turn there. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness, and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. His signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. And what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up their household, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which he did. Therefore, therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I commanded you today, that you, be, you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that, that you may prolong your days in a land in which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. Joshua could not draw strength to do all that the Lord had commanded him to do without being in God's word and applying it. There's reason to believe that Joshua always carried around the book of the law, which was Genesis through Deuteronomy. Joshua needed needed to read it daily and meditate on it. It was a practice of the Jews back then to read scripture aloud. And we see that in Acts when um, Philip heard the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah. The word meditate in Hebrew means to mutter. So we see God warning Joshua that the book of the law would not depart from his mouth. Joshua could not be strong and courageous without, God, without knowing God's purpose for his life. We cannot know God's purpose for our life unless we are in his word. If we are not in his word, he, you're just not going to have a faith that's very um, bold, strong, um, in touch with what the Lord would have you do. So, our faith become stronger when we're in His Word and then we can move forward courageously. We are empowered by the Spirit of God when we have a close walk with Him. If your walk is not that close with the Lord, you're not going to be empowered by the Spirit of God. You know, we I know when I get the chance to share up here, I, I am uh, uh, Encourage you all to be in the Word. You you know, it's very difficult. Actually, it's impossible to grow without doing that. If you're not in God's Word, uh, if you're not in prayer, you are not going to be growing in your walk with the Lord. It's my belief now that when we have someone or a couple that comes to us and says, you know, we're having... Having troubles uh, uh, in our marriage, or it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a couple. It could be anyone who's struggling with something, some sin, or whatever. I I believe that it's it's very simple. That I will ask, are you in God's word? And if the answer is no, uh, and then I'll ask, you know, are you praying? Are you? And if the answer is no again, that it's a waste of time. It was a complete waste of time after that. And I know that's a hard thing to say and it seems kind of hard-hearted, but it is the truth. If you are not doing those things, it's a waste of our time. Why come to someone who you think is a man of God to get help from when you're not in the word? So that was a bonus too, by the way. The trouble with bonuses is you lose your place. here. Um, okay, moving on to verse 9. We see that when we obey God and his commandments, he enables us. For the third time in the first nine verses, God says to be strong and of good courage. It is the cure for fear and anxiety. David said in Psalm 23:4, I fear no evil, for you are with me. If you think of Joshua, wouldn't you think he would be a little fearful? Here he was a uh, slave servant, soldier, spy, now a leader. Three million people. He's leading three million people now. A lot rests on him. He's took over from such a uh, mighty man of God. But, But this I know, that he will not call me to do something until he has first equipped me to do it. And we see that in Joshua as well. Three times we've read, be strong and of good courage. It's not an empty collection of words. It's a promise that God will always be with us as long as we are in his will. So what's our will for us? Well, I hear many people ask that question. Again, if you're not in his word, you're not going to know. You have to be in his word. You have to be spending time with him in prayer. To be called to do a work for God that you feel so inadequate to perform. It is there God says to you, be strong and of good courage, because I am with you and there is no army that can defeat us. You know, we live in a world now that nothing that goes on is a secret, right? People can't say anything, do anything, there's not a camera with a phone or a video, uh, everything gets captured now. We know everything that goes on. We can't find a plane, but we know everything else that goes on. Um, we have many uh, many organizations that present the news. All right. It used to be when I was a kid, there was you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and then you had PBS and, and so on. But basically three. Their job was to uh, Report the news. Now we have, there's hundreds, I'm sure, and um, they don't report the news. Okay, they insert their leanings, whatever they may be, into the news. They present the news in such a way that it is a train wreck that you don't want to keep, you know, take your eyes from, and it's and it produces fear in people, and there are so many. Uh, non-believers now that even are questioning what's going on. You know w- what's happening in the world when, you know, we have uh, so many weather-related issues and, and things that are have never happened before. And of course, we we see God uh, God's word preparing us for these types of things. But in the world today, there's just so much that we know of murders and all these things going on the crazy things that are happening in our schools it is easy for people to start to fear what's going on but that is not from God Second Timothy 1.7 for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we're to discipline our minds discipline our minds to meditate on those things that are pure and how do we do that? The answer still remains in God's word. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we read, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And finally, just a beautiful verse uh, in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That is how you discipline your mind. I've gotten to the point where I don't watch very much TV. I don't watch the news very much. Um, It's just noise. A lot of times for me it 's just noise and and then to hear people um, debate over what 's happening whether it's no matter what channel it is when you know it 's a left leaning or right leaning organization it it's just it gets to be an argument that I just shut it down it 's just like a commercial i don 't want to listen to that either anymore so Discipline your mind. Be in God's word. Be careful how you align yourself in what you believe from what you see on TV. Don't align, you know, be careful. You know, we should be um, identified as someone who loves the Lord. That's what should identify us. Not that, um, you know, we see, you know, the guy who was out in um, Utah, um, you know, we sympathize with what goes on, but we need to be identified as someone who loves the Lord, first and foremost, okay? So in closing, there are, I didn't count how many promises there in the Bible, but there's a lot of them, all right? Hundreds of promises contained in the Bible. So just in the verses we looked at this morning, I see God give Joshua six promises. This is what I see: one. I have given you the land of every place that you step upon. I've given you that land. Two, no man shall stand against you. That's a good one. Three, my favorite verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Hebrew of that verse means I will never drop you. Isn't that comforting? He'll never drop us. Four, you have an inheritance. Heaven's my home. What a great inheritance that is. Five, do not turn from the law and you will prosper. There's no change for us. We have to be in God's word. The prosperity comes in the Christian life that we live, not in finances, okay? Six, do not be fearful for the Lord is with you wherever you go. You know, there's no place... There's no place I can go that the Lord would not want to go with me. Now, there's places I wouldn't want to bring them, right? There's places that, you, you, you know, if you, if you go places where you shouldn't go, the Lord doesn't go, okay? He doesn't want to, he, doesn't, he can't live with sin. Darkness and light cannot coexist. But these six, there's still our promises today. God said, be strong and of good courage three times within these six promises. And the Lord is still with us wherever we go. He still will never leave us nor forsake us. And our inheritance is still in heaven. So my encouragement today for you, my charge for you today, is to read the Word and obey it. It is how you have a closer walk. It is how you know His will. It is how you become more like Christ. Read it, obey it, meditate on it. It's the cure for fear. Let's pray.